0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number five of The Narrative. I'm your host, Jeff Gallet. I'm so happy that you found the podcast. If this is your first listen, I encourage you to subscribe and give us a review. You could even go back and listen to the first few episodes. I'm really proud of them. I find storytelling interesting, and I find the storytellers themselves fascinating. So the idea behind this podcast is to meet people who are great storytellers and to get to know them. Most people who know me know that I'm married into Ohio State sports fandom, maybe even fanaticism. Like I do with most things that I'm passionate about, I devour information about Ohio State sports. Early in my fandom, I discovered that one of the leading voices covering the Buckeyes was Austin Ward. I'm really excited that Austin is joining me on this episode of The Narrative. Austin is Letterman Rowe's senior writer covering Ohio State football and basketball an award-winning journalist who has covered the Buckeye since 2012, spending five of those seasons working for ESPN. Prior to joining ESPN, Austin had previous stints at the Casper Star Tribune and the Knoxville News Sentinel. Letterman Row is a unique digital outlet that combines deep Ohio State coverage from leading journalists alongside a group of former Buckeye players who serve as contributors and collaborators. We'll explore Austin's background, the changing landscape of journalism and social media, the challenges of reporting during the pandemic, and we'll pivot to our shared loves of other sports. Because to choose to become a sports journalist, you obviously need to be passionate about sports. Austin's story is fascinating. You'll enjoy meeting him. So Austin, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks,
1: uh, thanks for having me. I know it's, uh, we've got a, a long-time uh, Twitter friendship, and once in a
0: while you pop around my neck of the woods, yeah. so... Uh, Excited to be on. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's interesting, and I hope you're, you know, bear with me. This is the first time in this process of doing these that I've actually interviewed somebody who interviews people for a living. So <laughs> it's kind of intimidating. It's like, you know, like I can talk to other marketing people, and you know, the other day I recorded one with a guy who's a magician. That's totally different. But like you, you, I'm going to try and ask you hard, difficult, journalistic questions, but you're a hard, difficult journalist. It's tough for sure. me. That's not how I work. I mean, if, if, you're, not,
1: if you're not having some uh, conversations that are two-way streets, uh, I'm probably not going to get a lot of great information, and you probably won't want to talk to me again if it, just talking about some of the players and coaches that I deal with. So uh, that's, you know, I like to think of it that way, that I'm not covering the White House, and, and you're <laughs> definitely not doing that here. So yeah. I won't be
0: judging you on a scale of 1 to 10 about how difficult the questions are. Perfect. So um, as we get started... I want to, I just, I was watching, I follow you on Twitter, obviously, as you mentioned, and I saw over the weekend that uh, this, you know, you innocuously maybe just posted up some stuff about (laughs) your passion about collecting cards. Yeah. And I saw some people just coming back and just flaming you (laughs) for taking cards away from kids and how dare you go to Walmart and buy a pack of cards. And I was thinking, you know, when you enter journalism and you think someday I'm going to start hitting people hard on stuff that really matters, is it going to be because of Ripping open some panini packs.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that, like I said, I, I was talking with uh Tim Hall, radio host in Columbus, about that the other day because he and I both kind of, you know, got that reignited during COVID. I mean, many, many other people did, or else yeah. this hobby wouldn't be at the crazy heights that it is right now. It's like it was only one person that responded, and you know, I've been doing this long enough that I mean, I. Gosh, what is this now? 14, 15 years of covering college football. I mean, these are the most passionate fans anywhere in sports, in my opinion. So that's nothing new to me. And most of the time, I just ignore it. But like, that was more of a, I think it wasn't about college football. Yeah. It's just a personal, you know, sort of attack. And it only takes one. I'm just like, you know what? I mean, at the exact same time that this person who doesn't know me or why I got into it or if I did it with my dad or I have a four year old and like, she obviously doesn't know all the people, but she loves to get Blue Jackets cards and, yeah. Um, you know, I'm like, you don't know. And at the same time that he sent this, I was making a pack for Tim Hall's kid, Jack, who, you know, it's hard for everybody to get it right now. I understand the frustration, like, of not being able to go to Walmart and find it. I mean, that's that's been a regular part of trying to get back into this hobby, like, get the frustration. But to lash out, like, that's what struck me. I was like, I want kids to be involved in it or else there's no point. Like, I want people to have the same passion for sports or there's no point in my job. So. Yeah that part. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't really think about that. When I was getting trained in journalism, there was no social media. Uh, You know, the feedback you got was people who had the time to write out a letter and get those to the Casper star tribune or email was starting to, you know, really pick up for these people who wanted to get their thoughts known and you deal with that. You had more time to craft a response. And, you know, social media was not part of my training at all. And all of us, we're having to learn as we go and, along.
0: And it's interesting. I mean, I was, uh, when I saw it, I was you a know, casual observer, obviously, but I was laughing, not at your expense, but along with you, because I, I imagined you <laughs> laughing through the whole thing. But my first thought was, here you have this, this incredibly passionate, huge fan base of people yep. who follow Buckeye football that you're talking to every day they're not reacting to you about something about, you know, some thing you're writing about a quarterback controversy or something else, but it's a guy who's just, you know, like, let's go down the path. And it was just, it just amazed me. I've like, we finally have hit that point of where the internet has won. It's just pretty, it's amazing. Yeah. And you can't even win the argument. Like,
1: you know, I can't help every kid. If this kid, this guy says he had trouble to open packs with his kid. Like I can't help everyone do that. This, yeah. this guy is upset about it. I can tell him where to go and, you know, if I had had one in in my pocket, I would have given it to these kids. Like, that's, that's just so crazy about it. Like, but it doesn't matter what you say because yeah. he was, a, yeah. he responded with anger anyway. Yeah. So whatever, you yeah. know, it's, it, and that's what the more, you know, followers you get, that's better for, you know, Letterman row or personal brands, but then not all of them are, uh, going to be in great moods all the time. That's the unfortunate, unfortunate part about Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of
0: it. Yeah. So, um, since you mentioned it, and I think it would be good for you. I've got it. People heard the intro, but once you tell a little bit about Letterman row, because something you just yeah. said, I want to pivot back into after you're done saying a little bit about what you do at Letterman row, and what Letterman row is. Yeah.
1: I was, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about, uh, believe it's tomorrow. Uh, well, this will date when this is, but June, June 4th, uh, I believe was our launch day as I'm thinking back. And this is, so this would be our fourth season of covering Ohio state football, uh, you know, Jeremy Birmingham and I were kind of the first two in the door with our boss, Will Crawl, who's a former walk-on tight end for Ohio State. He had the idea where he wanted to marry professional journalism, which uh, fortunately he considered me one of the (laughs) professional journalists. And um, I was looking for a different challenge after the ESPN layoffs and then one year at, at a failed venture at Land of Ten where... I wanted out even before it collapsed. I could see the writing on the wall there. But all the things that I learned throughout my career, from newspapers to uh, ESPN.com, different iterations Mm -hmm. of coverage there, and then a year of like learning analytics and Google SEO. uh, You know all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it's this this uh, expertise, if you want to call it that, that I had with you know former Buckeyes and and former players with a place where they could you know talk about what they know, which is the actual being in the game, X's and O's, what, what locker rooms are like. And a lot of them wanted um, a venue to whether they wanted to be in broadcasting or journalism, some do, some don't. Mm -hmm. Some just wanted, you know, Jake Stoneburner, I use this example with him all the time. You know, he was like, I was, I've been going to film study and and meetings for my entire life and then suddenly it's over. Like I miss talking about ball. So uh, mixing the the actual coverage of the team um, with video content and former players uh so that's uh, that's all now you know we've made it through uh we are we going through some pretty good growth right up until covid hit and then mm-hmm. that was a big hurdle for us to get through and and we got past that now and making it in here to year 4 and feeling good about uh, the future for that company
0: so just so what i wanted to pivot off of was in when you mentioned that when you went to school for journalism you know you you learn to be a journalist you learn to write you learn to do interviews and things and and then you go and you took you know, kind of the traditional path, I guess, you know, you went to newspapers, and some big ones, and you covered some big things at newspapers. And then now this whole world is digital, you know, Letterman Row is a completely digital venue, and there's video components to it and social components to it. And it's just got to be very different. I mean, we all learned I learned social and things like that. In my career, the same kind of thing happened. But what's your perspective on where on where what's happened there with the whole world of journalism and where that's all gone directionally?
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, I think that uh, we're fortunate enough to work a little with uh, Tim May as well. And, mm-hmm. and he'll he'll talk about 15 year periods of his career, and how much that changed from, you know, 1983 to 1998. And, you know, all of it, you know, the whole it's like any profession where you have to adapt and evolve. But it, it's just hard to imagine, like every year learning something different, a different a different tool that you needed to cover it. Because, as we mentioned, like social media became a big part of this. Video was not, you know, I I wasn't trained in that in any way um, Mm -hmm. at at Wyoming. And the things that, you know, the way people like to consume content, if you're, you know, we want them to have that. Um, We want to bring it to the places where they consume it. Well, you have to be able to produce that. And, you know, Berm and myself were not, you know, trained in using camera or, Mm -hmm. you know, Photoshop or, you know, video premiere, cutting up any of this stuff you know, producing podcasts like that, you know, that was never part of my training. Now, fortunately for this new generation of journalists they they're exposed to much more of that. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's changed the way, you know, that you have to think about covering this job and, and covering this beat because, you know, it's a, one of the things that I've always enjoyed were like the opportunities to go spend several days you know, reporting out a story and getting to know kids, whether that's, you know current buckeyes or recruits and their families and you know then spend that time working on a story well i mean you can't just write once a week right we'd have right, a business if right. that if that had happened so that some of it is not even just the technology but it's the immediacy of you know having to you know fill out a website with content several times a day it's you know a newspaper you know you're going to be in there once and then you're done and then I remember when that changed like well you're going to have a blog like well, who, why? who cares about that? Like, right. all of our money is coming from the print product. Like, all right. Well, then you're like, okay, well, I, I can come up with a couple of things a day. And then suddenly, some some places they want you to write like six or seven times a day. And it's like, there's not that much to cover. I right. don't know what. What do you want me to do? Right. But you have to, you, you, you learn what things work and what don't. And, and again, that's a part of like getting through COVID. Like, if you don't, it, if you didn't adapt and figure out what you could do to survive and that your audience would, interested in, well, I mean, you weren't going to make it.
0: Well, that was one of the other things I wanted to ask you. I mean, and obviously the last year was just another wrench thrown in because I'm sure, you know, your job has largely been being on site, like having access to players and coaches and, you <laughs> right. know, going to games. And, and now suddenly you're, everything's happening on this medium via Zoom and you don't get, I'm, I'm sure it had to just be incredibly challenging to try and deliver the kind of content you need to deliver to draw the audience, to serve the needs of the customers, to grow the business. while you're just disconnected in that way
1: it it was a huge huge challenge and in some ways you know um great learning opportunity because well what what did we really need you know we had a physical office before but we got rid of that during COVID we weren't able to go into it uh we found you know it was able for we we love to do have the guys come into the office the former Buckeyes and do Buckeye Q in person well obviously we couldn't do that uh so can I learn how to get some of the cut up clips from Spencer Holbrook who works with us and mm-hmm. share the screen and, you know, all these things that we all know how to do now. Well, I mean, does it work? Could it be better? Could it, you know, does this make it easier if, if like we want to do somebody who doesn't live in, in town, like Terry McLaurin, if you're still interested in doing this and you're in Washington DC, well, now we have a way to do that. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's part of the, it wasn't fun of course. And I prefer to always be face to face, whether that's, interviewing somebody or, or doing, uh, you know, whether it's a pod, you know, podcast, any of that, it's, mm-hmm. it's always better face-to-face. We know that, but you know, you have to, you have to find ways to get through it and survive. We did. And then we'll take what worked out of it. And maybe you'll just see more video content that yeah. comes by a zoom instead of us having to go down to the office all the time. You know, I think there are a lot of, a lot of companies that are feeling that way.
0: I, uh, on that point, I had a conversation the other day with somebody and we were talking about, he was actually pointing out how, Zoom has changed so much for everybody in the last year, obviously, education, a lot of, you know, different things that probably yeah. it, it's Im- caused the embrace of this technology. But what's really interesting, I told him, and I would imagine you, when you, during the time that you were at ESPN, for example, they wouldn't put you on the air in the times you'd be on the air unless you had a crew there. Like, you had to have professional-level cameras and audio, and, you know, and now, now you watch, like, flagship shows on ESPN – like, you know, around the horn or get up. And all the correspondents are on a Zoom call, you know, from their home computer with no professional equipment there anyway. And it's now become perfectly acceptable for that to be now the new broadcast quality. Yeah, and that's,
1: I, I always wonder like who it was that felt like they, you needed to have the HD camera for the setup because, you know, I. they were starting to transition away from that even before COVID ESPN was where, you know, you could get, HD quality stuff on your phone. Maybe it's not 4K. Uh-huh. So they sent, this was shortly, you know, before the layoffs. So I just had a couple months or I don't remember how long with it where they, here's a phone. All that's on it is an app that connects to Bristol. Uh, you just plug in a microphone into it. Here's a stand. You know, you know, someone will be able to tell you whether the lighting is good or not good. Um, and, and then you'll get on your phone to do the audio so you can have better quality. So they had figured out that, like, not everybody was going to pay attention to if it was in studio 4K right. whatever ultra high def because you know it seems like an unreasonable expectation like wouldn't you rather have as many reporters calling in as you can rather than having to choose three or four stories i think everyone has kind of realized that if you can broaden what you can offer and people may not notice a tremendous dip in quality you know you have you you always have to be willing to change and do things different then it's always done, or else and it, you know there's no way forward.
0: I, and, I, that seems to be a common theme for what I'm saying here. Today. Yeah, and I think that you know quality of content is always better than quality of production, right? I mean, you can't. I I used to fight it all the time in the corporate world. Is you know we would um we would we would do things like trainings, like corporate trainings, and presenters like me would present, and somebody would say you should just tape all that. Back <laughs> in the day when tape was a thing, tape all that, <laughs> and we'll send it to people, and they can just watch it. And I'm like, no one's going to watch it. Like, who's going to watch it? Because people, they're used to production value. Like, when they sit down in front of a television to watch something, it's been produced by Disney or NBC or ABC or whoever it is. No one's going to watch a camcorder sitting in the back of the room, single camera, not moving with bad audio of me presenting for an hour. Maybe I was wrong. Because maybe, you know, maybe today that actually would happen if the content was good enough. Maybe people now have adapted enough to to be able to be served that way.
1: Well, we, and we thought about that, you know, Jeff, thinking back to the start of Letterman Row and Buckeye Q when we're having the players in there, like, well, we're just, we have a a video screen and a projector. Like, how is this? And and I can watch back the first ones we did. And even, you know, at the end of last year before COVID, like with what we were doing, like look incredible. Would you put it up on a, you know, a television in a bar or like, you know, I know people are watching it on YouTube at home, but like, do they, are they worried that this doesn't look like John Gruden's QB camp? Because th- you know that was really sort of yeah the model that we were trying yeah. to work off. But yeah. uh, I mean, no, it didn't look incredible. It never did. Uh, Zoom probably looks a little better. I say I hope it does. But we, you know, the point wasn't that we had it at D- a Disney produced show. It was, and and this is what we were hoping, and this is what worked out. It was like okay, well, this is Beanie Wells talking about J.K. Dobbins, or the, you know whoever yeah like that's what they cared about yeah and, and that's what we hoped to deliver and still tr- striving to do but that's you know that's the other part of it you have to determine what's that what's that line where how do you balance out that that quality uh versus what the actual content is
0: it's interesting when you talk about the letterman row model where you've got the athletes and some of them want to be journalists and some of them don't and but they want an avenue like you said with with jake to be able to get Content out, or at least you know, be in the moment to be able to to do what he's what he loves to talk about. Um, the whole thing is interesting. I look at it as a fan, right? I'm I'm not on that side of the business, so I sit and I watch the fan, and I consume that kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. I always wonder. And the, the big up, ap- the thing that happened last week with with um, Shannon Sharp and Julio Jones, mm-hmm. you know, like Shannon Sharp kind of went right across the the traditional firewalls of how you do journalism, right? I mean, here he is on Fox or FS1 and he calls Julio Jones live on the air, doesn't tell him he's on the air and gets this quote at him. And I sat there and thought about it. And I, you know, I, I, you know, selfishly, just so you know, I wanted to be a sports writer back in the day and never had the cojones to do it. That's what I, like my dream would have been. And, but I watched that and, I'm th- and so I did take journalism classes and do some journalism work and I sat there and thought, My goodness, like the world has really changed when that happens. It's amazing to me that that happened and that there hasn't really been a whole lot of blowback on it.
1: No, there hasn't. You would have thought that, uh, which makes me think that some of it was, you know, coordinated on Julio Jones' part. Because otherwise, I mean, you have consent laws, two-party consent laws for recording, which, you know, some of these – Classes that I never thought I would need, with uh, you know, the, not not just the ethics, but the legality, of, you know, c- crossing journalism laws and all that stuff. So the fact that that hasn't happened, the fact that the Fox legal department hasn't blown up or taken taken the guys off the air, uh, you know, Julio's not <laughs> pursuing any lawsuits or anything yeah. like that. Tells you it may have been a little bit more stage, but you know that you see that a lot anymore, where the lines have blurred because there aren't a, a ton of people. I don't think that want to pursue this profession that much. And, it, and then other companies are pouring more money into just those debate shows. And they, you can just have any athlete come in and do that. Yeah. It's great. Like, I mean, we all know what, uh, around the horn and PTI did for, uh, driving debate and, and more interest in sports across the country. But sometimes you just watch what they're doing and it's, uh,
0: I know that my journalism professors would not have approved. <laughs> so, um, so when you decided, so I'm assuming that when you, you obviously had to have a love of sports, yeah. to decide you wanted to be a sports journalist. Um, what's that path? I mean, how do you know? How do you get there? What was the thing that drove you to that? And then how, you know, <laughs> it's just interesting to me since I thought about it and decided I couldn't do it or wouldn't do it or wasn't good enough to do it. Whatever I decided, I don't remember what I decided. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, primarily driven by the end of my own athletic career
1: and recognizing my own limitations. Because I, you know, I thought about it. Uh, the golf and basketball were the, the two things that I were had the most skill at. I did not, at five foot ten, have really the frame to keep going in in basketball. And and I thought for a little bit about I was had an academic scholarship to Wyoming, uh, my home state, and. And for a brief period, I was about to uh, walk on at Georgia, where uh, my dad was living at the time. Uh, a brief period before the rest, he was when they moved, and he was like, "You know what? Uh, not making the kids move again until they graduate high school." So he was down in, in Atlanta, and I thought, you know, I'd looked at it. Is it possible? Um, you know, I moved down there with him to establish residency so that I could try and walk on the golf team. Well, I just got bored. Like, cause I was having to work and I was gonna have to wait a year. There were no guarantees. Like, you know what? Screw this. I'm ready to start school. I'm probably not going to make it on tour anyway. <laughs> and I could, I'm the only one who could use that academic scholarship that was offered to me. Uh-huh. So I just like, it was like three weeks before classes. I'm like, I'm going back. I'm going the first day when I get there, I, broadcasting is more what I thought I wanted to get into. And we t- I talked about that earlier with uh-huh. the video. I wound up with no training in that cause Wyoming didn't have broadcast journalism. That's a that's even a tougher field to get into than the one I chose, which isn't easy anyway. That uh, you know, we're just driving back. Uh, from my dad was with me to go from Atlanta to move into Laramie. And, like the first place I'm going to go is just uh, the Branding Iron, it's a school newspaper. Going to see what options there are for sports. I've got ideas. I want to you know simulate Madden games and use that as a for prediction column for NFL. You know, and then whatever else. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because I wrote a little bit for my high school newspaper, but that wasn't a driving interest. That was just like a class. And you know, I was playing, I, I was in a sport for every semester. So to me, it wasn't, and I only bring that up to say that I, I never envisioned like newspaper or, you know, written editorial content. I, I wasn't choosing that because I love journalism. My wife works for the Columbus Dispatch and mm-hmm. she went to Syracuse and, you know, she always, you know, knew that. And hers was more to help people and, you know, med- the medical and health side. That's what prompted her. So you have to have that thing that you love or else the, I don't think that you can be good at, at anything. Yep. But especially in journalism, like if you're not a fan of sports, then I don't know why you'd want to cover sports. Like my, my life is revolved around that. So um, I, it worked for me. I wound up being pretty good at it, I think. Uh, you know, and, but so it was, I just walked in there and I'm like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get these, these reps at a college newspaper. We'll see what happens. Cause from there you can make other decisions. I knew I wanted to be in sports. I tried a brief period when I was at Tennessee, uh, to do sports information, you know, just the, the PR side of it. That wasn't for me. I like to have my own voice. You know, you can obviously try everything else with, with video now and podcasts. And as we've gone along and some of those are good, some of them aren't. I mean, the, the thing that i that has always driven me is not to tell my own story. It's to tell other people's stories. So that's, I think that's whether I'm the, uh, a world-class writer or not, I don't think that I am. I hope people can read it, but I hope, I just want to convey other people's stories because the kids that I, that I meet and the coaches that I cover are some of the, like just world-class people. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I hope that that's always what I try to accomplish really is that, People understand that they're not just these, you know, fantasy numbers or, or people on TV, like they've got real lives and fascinating ones at that. Mm-hmm. So.
0: You, you choose this career, you end up being very successful in it, but you can't really be a fan of the team you cover. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's sort of that's one of those firewalls, I would assume. Um, you have to put up with people like me on Twitter who are a fan of the team you cover, but that's all a whole different part of the equation. But I do know you're a fan of lots of other things like you're, you're, you know, you, the Blue Jackets, the crew, Wyoming football, et cetera. Um, that's got it's just has to be strength to be, to be around something all the time, but to have to say objective about it. Is that, is that challenging? Especially when you like the people, when you're like, as you just said, they're good kids and you know them and you like them. And yeah, I, I think that my
1: approach to the job or the way I evaluate what I should or shouldn't do has, has also changed over time in that I don't, I don't own any uh, Ohio state clothes. My wife is a diehard Buckeyes fan. And uh, I went to exactly one Ohio state game, uh, took her to the Fiesta bowl against Texas. in uh, what was that? 2009. um, When we first started dating, well, you know, that's, I'm not, I, I think that I covered Wyoming. I went to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. I, I did two years, uh, one in undergraduate exchange at Tennessee, and then one year uh, in, when I was doing their sports information department and working towards a master's and, and testing that out. I covered Tennessee. I went to Tennessee and lived there for a while. Um, you know, I didn't have that here. So when, when I first started covering Ohio State in 2012, I mean, obviously uh, my wife and her family uh, born and raised in Columbus and my parents went to Ohio State. I mean, they they love that. That's great. Like, they have that passion. But I, did, I didn't come in with any of that sort of appreciation for it or wanting them to win or not win. So Ohio State's actually the easiest, I'd say, of the places that I've worked to do that. Now, I say all that, and you know from my coverage and many other people like to, you know, suggest that I'm a homer. Well, I mean, that may well be the case because – a this team is very good that I cover. Yeah, uh, I've never picked them to lose a game, and I have a pretty good record of picking. You know, yeah. they've lost with ten times since I've been here. Yeah, that's worked out pretty well for me. Um, but I do, you know, it is better to cover a winning program. It's more fun. I don't cheer for them to win, but I enjoy when they're successful. Um, not just because it makes my wife happy when they win, um, and and that. But that's also true of everywhere else I've been because. It's not that I, it changes the objective ability to cover the team, which you know if there's if there's a problem, um, you know, you can call that out. You know, don't disagree with the decision. Um, you know, you I, I think you have more credibility if people know that you're not doing it from um, a position to attack the team or because you're out to get them.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and it's just a so it's more difficult for me to answer it than it would have been when I graduated or when I left Wyoming in 2006, because I, I my, my views have changed. I don't work at a newspaper Right. and uh, there's not like a ton of scandal going on for Ohio state. Um, so I don't, it's not like there's things that are swept under the rug that I don't care about. And, and
0: you work for an outlet that wouldn't exist without Ohio state, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a sole, it's an Ohio state focused site and content. And
1: that's not, and, and so people take that to mean that, Sometimes or some people do that. That means that uh, our coverage has to just be okay with Ohio State, and I don't. I don't think that that's that's not the way I approach it, and it's not the way, you know. I don't think they view our access as contingent on that because they've known me for a long time. But Ohio State is one element, and Ohio State fans are the other. So I wouldn't exist without either one of them. There would be no there'd be no Letterman Row. So I write for fans like you. Uh, It's not to you know newspapers are great that they still you know want to dig into uh freedom of information acts and dig through text messages that that's great i think there's there's absolutely a place for that but now i i said this earlier where i don't cover the white house well i'm writing about ohio state and i'm writing about them for ohio state fans there's no other there's nothing else that's involved there so you know do i would I want them to go to the college football playoff and win and write a book about that, of course I would, but that doesn't mean that I sit in the press box and cheer for that to happen, right? So, but the the other part that you brought up about the teams that I cheer for, well, if I if I was ambivalent about Ohio State and you know how I feel about Columbus, I love living here. I felt like it, I love living here. I don't want to move and um, in you know, been into the crew and the Blue Jackets and all that. If I didn't really care about the, the team that I cover and the players that are on that team and the coaching staff, you know, I still have to be passionate about it to know up one through 85 yeah, and you know, think that recruiting is interesting. So, and I, I don't think you can fake that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think that feeds into it where, you know, uh, I just, I think it's a fun place to be. And if it wasn't when I got laid off of ESPN, I had op- options to go work elsewhere, but i really enjoy covering this team and i i hope that when people accuse me of home, of being a homer or whatever i hope they recognize that that's just because i'm trying to do the best job that i can mm-hmm. for them mm-hmm. and if they win
0: there might be a bonus in that for me yeah um so the crew yeah we have a mutual interest in soccer yeah. i was gonna i was gonna hold it over your head that my atlanta united have won the championship but then the crew won it since then so
1: took that away from
0: you damn it Um, that whole thing a couple weeks ago with the whole rebranding thing, like now, you know, pivoting to fan from journalist, but you have to look at that through the lens of, you know, what you know about how organizations operate in the journalistic side of it, I would think. And I, you know, I watched it from afar, you know, they're kind of my second team, if you will. And we watch it and I'm like, what are they doing? And then I saw, I was watching your stuff, you know, passionately. And I'm thinking to myself, it's good, in my mind, it's good that you're being really passionate about this and outgoing about this on Twitter and other places because you do have a large following. And they're maybe not all crew fans, they're not. but they're Columbus. There's a lot of people in Columbus and Columbus people who are there, and those are people who can mobilize around something. So I thought it was just an interesting thing when I was watching when I was watching you interact that way.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's another part when I talk about sort of changing my perspective on it because for a long time in this profession. And even when I started in it, you just, you know, you, well, that could be something you could cover. You know, you want to make sure that no one could ever accuse you of, of not uh, of being subjective about these teams. And I just, the older I got, like U S national team was kind of the first time that I got into this. I'm like, well, everybody's cheering for the United States national team mm-hmm. in this country. Like, why should we pretend otherwise? Cause you see in other countries, it's not like this. They're, you know, their newspaper reporters and everything else in to cover the Premier League, well, that's long been like just a purely fan-based perspective, mm-hmm. because that's what they wanted their readers, you know, that's what their audience sort of wanted. They were okay with that. Yeah. I'm not saying that that should be the case everywhere, but you know, I, I just well, this is silly. I want the United States national team to win. I want. then it got further with the crew, and I, I used to be hesitant. You know, to do that, to show that side, well, you know, what if you have to do something else? Well, you know what? Who cares? I've already dealt with that at my alma mater covering Wyoming. Yeah. A lot of times, as you know, fans of a program, fans of a team are going to be much more critical than anybody else because they have high expectations, because they're, they have that passion, because they're disappointed with losses. Frankly, I mean, I see this now every, every time there's, even a Ohio State win only by ten points. Yeah. It's like, well, this team sucks. Not so good like, enough. And I'm like, well, let me let me put this in perspective for you. <laughs> They're pretty damn good still, uh, and and I bet they win next week. Uh, and these things in this context, like, but I, you know, and I think that that's also changed the the mindset of the coverage. Is like, all right, well, how would I feel if the t- people who covered the crew were not outraged? By what they just did to the fan base, and so, or explain you know any part of it. Yeah. But I don't have a better understanding of what's happening, and I try. So I try to mix those now the best that I can. Where, you know, it used to be I didn't want to talk about it. If somebody like said, "Tough, Portland sucked." Let's get deep into it for your Ohio State audience yeah. here. Yeah. But a player sucked. You know, they had a bad game. Well. I mean, I could just ignore that because if you're writing for a newspaper, you don't have to cover it. You may, you know, if you don't agree with it, you can just, it's, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You do, you decide what coverage. Well, if enough people feel this way and say, well, he can't be playing this position he shouldn't be out there. Well, now it's like, okay, well, they're upset. Let's talk about why you're upset and why he might still be out there, why it could be a bad decision. So – that's the part too, where the social media—the good, or the bad—to mm-hmm. actually directly engage with a fan base. Where in 2007, when I start covering Wyoming, there's really no way you might get on a message board, yeah, and that might be 10 people that are upset about something. So you don't know how to shape your coverage or engage with the fan base that way. There's still things that they say that I don't, you know, agree with, of course, yeah. But now there's an avenue, like, yeah. all right, well, it's the internet. Let's let's talk about it. This is what you guys want. I'll talk to it, you know, I. I'm not ever going to do it purely from my own perspective or opinion. Like it's formed by the fact that I know the players and the coaches and why he's out there and that I've watched every game for the last 11 years. But um, I I think that that part with the crew, like you should never dismiss the prevailing opinion of the fan base. Now it it may be wrong. Uh, It may be right. I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about specific examples, but for the crew, they did this process without that, so for me to be a fan of a team and to, you know, try and supply content for a team, like you know that that relationship has to, there has to be give and take between the two. Yeah,
0: if you ignore it at your own peril. I saw today. I was reading an article today about the the Indians. They yeah. announced today that they've, now, they've narrowed it down on what their new name is going to be. And it was almost like the complete – it was a, almost a reaction to what happened with the crew because this story was written. 14,000 names. We had multiple focus groups. We've aggregated them. We've tested them, blah, blah, blah. Now we've got a list of finalists and we're not saying who the finalists are. And I'm reading the whole thing and I'm thinking they didn't have to say any of this. <laughs> but I think that they're looking right down the state or across town to Jimmy Haslam, and they're saying, yeah, we're not doing this again. We're not letting this happen. We're going to just, we're going to get ahead of this and let everybody know we're trying to make this an inclusive process, that at the end of it, they're going to pick a name and a zillion people are going to come out and scream and yell that it's horrible and awful and the worst thing ever. And why are you changing from the Indians? And it, they have, They're kind of in a no-win situation, but I thought it was funny when I was reading the article, just how almost defensively. I read it and maybe other people who weren't as close to what happened with the crew or didn't follow that might not have realized, but I immediately pivoted to that and said, "No, this is reactionary to what happened with the crew rebranding.
1: Yeah. And and (laughs) no one is, I don't think there's ever going to be a a rebrand that people universally love when it happens because when people, you know, become fans, they're attached to all the things that were there in place that the traditions that, that they grew up with or learned to love over time. So when you take that away and change that, that's obviously going to be, it's going to be extremely hard for anyone to pull that off. It's, the crew just went to such a wild extreme with something that was so unnecessary and did it without that feedback. I mean, they've been part of the Nordex since, since we moved here and, you know, the amount of feedback that they've accepted or wanted is varied depending on Depending on the ownership, depending on the year, and something like this, though, it's so dramatic and extreme that, and they had had so much goodwill based on the stadium and, <laughs> and saving from pre-court. I just think maybe they got a little carried away and they forgot the whole reason that
0: they own this
1: team in the first place is because of the passion. That, of the that fan was base. the part
0: that struck me. You know, I'm a marketing guy, so branding is what I've done in my career. But I looked back and said, you have this fan base that literally saved the franchise. (laughs) They literally saved the franchise through their action with a hashtag that said, save the crew. And you're building a brand new stadium, which is going to be a huge moneymaker. It's going to be amazing. You're building the stadium on the backs of that. And you're going to use the two-month lead-up into opening up that stadium to do this to that fan base. It just struck me like complete. I can't even think of many things that are more tone deaf than that.
1: Yeah, and the part that you brought up, like, I mean, whatever it is now, 20,000 some followers on Twitter, like, if you'd been at a newspaper and like, well, don't do anything other than your beat. Well, I mean, that's, that's robbing the other community that I'm a part of, which is, you know, Columbus, and then a number of, you know, crew fans, and somebody has to speak up about it, or this could start happening on a larger scale. I don't want to you know, nothing we do in sports is like a true life or death scenario, but this is a thing that people really care about. Um, and I cared about it. So, you know, you, people that you skip to you talked to, you led this off with people that were on Twitter, like stick to Ohio state football. Well, sorry. I mean, no, those, those times are really gone and yeah. I don't mix like person, you know, real personal stuff. There's some pictures of my daughter and Allie, but, That's all generally sports related. And I I don't, I understand that crossing over to use that for, you know, political purposes is not something that's really to my benefit. I don't, so I don't use it for that. But for this, I mean, sports related, it continues to show like who
0: I am, why I might, why you might want to follow me for sports. I mean, that's the way, that's what I look at. I look at it and go, I mean, that was what, what struck me that I thought would be interesting to have you on here was that idea that, you know, at your core, your fan. And in that case, you can be a fan. You, you reacted to that news in particular, just using that as an example, yeah. the way I would for, for something, because I'm a fan of things. I don't cover anything. You're a fan of the crew you're invested there. And so you reacted in a way. So it's like, you know, the reason you're good at your job is because you have that core, like you said earlier, of being a fan and a passion about it. And you can apply that. So then for people to say, well, then silence that when it comes to your outside interest beyond this narrow thing that we care about, it's all about us. It's just, yeah. it's interesting <laughs> to me.
1: Well, I mean, there are people that don't drink beer, but berm and I are not going to stop posting road beers when we go. And there are people that, that don't like that too. I, you know, that's, and that's why there's also a limit of the things that I think I want to use my own social media. And the flip
0: account. side is that I send you direct messages when I'm going to be in Columbus and say, hey, where's the best place to go get a beer? So, exactly. you know, that's that's double-edged sword, that's, right? That's part of my brand uh, <laughs> that I, I do like uh, Columbus
1: sports. Uh, I'm going to – people can find me at virtually all of them and then I'm going to be at Columbus breweries and, and I'm going to talk about that. Uh, I think that one – when when people you know sports cards i guess now we can include in that but like taking it to you know other stuff and and commenting on news of the day like i i understand that there's a line to that and there's also it's frankly that i just don't have any interest in crossing that um if you know i don't really have that much time to to devote to any of that other stuff because i am passionate about all the my job and i'm passionate about columbus sports and all like and it's not like well,
0: Ohio State football can't be polarizing to people, right, yeah. so I mean, you might as well limit your amount of polarization that you're that I get you're it. yeah, maybe
1: it's just because I get enough uh, you know just from what I do on a daily basis, but you know I mean that's really what my days are like, you know i and i there's only so much I think that anyone should say about any topic, yeah and and so I stick to what I know and uh and I think that's really not not enough people in the whole world do that, perhaps. Um, but it's also, so it's, it's what I, what I feel like I'm an expert in or passionate about, plus what I think people might be interested in. And I just, you know, anything else, like who cares? Right. Like, yeah, right. I just that's not for me. There's enough other people who are deep into that, who can sh- share those stories and share that insight. And I'll read that. But
0: yeah, it's like, you, got, ma- you know, you mentioned Tim earlier and like, I, I followed Tim and have from back when he was yeah. at the dispatch and. I can tell. It's obvious. You know, Tim's not going to the Indy 500 or other IndyCar races and writing about them and tweeting about them for Letterman Row.
1: He's doing it
0: because it's something that he loves, right? It's it's something that is core and embedded to him. And I can't imagine that he gets flack for that in any way. I mean, you just have to – if you followed him for a long time, you know Tim's into racing, into auto racing. He loves it, and he writes about it, and he's got a whole network around it. So – it, I don't see it being any different than being a f- fan of the crew or not a fan of the crew as being a, you know, a auto racing guy. Yeah. And
1: again, I mean, we're not ever going to make everyone completely happy. I, you know, I, I, you asked like the, the feedback to that and people picking on, on what happened with Saturday with the cards. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff, I don't know that you ever truly get used to it. I mean, I remember the first time, I was an AP poll voter my first year, like football in Wyoming. It's like, you know, all these, I didn't have Oregon too low. and I didn't have Louisville in the top 25. Like, I remember the people that were upset and they, like they published your ballot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you never get used to people, you know, cursing you out and stuff like that. But you, you certainly put it in better perspective that the older you get, maybe, even though the the access they have to you is far greater than let's go look up this guy's email address, find out where the Casper Star yeah. Tribune is, <laughs> uh, and you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like it's much easier for people to do uh, that. And that part makes it, you know, weirder and, and more challenging, but like it doesn't you, you affect know. me anymore. I mean
0: so it's I, not say,
1: the way I do my job.
0: I don't have a professional aspect of it, but you know, like I'll take the bait sometimes. And I'll I, I catch I'll find myself going, why did you just take the bait? Why are you like getting into this conversation with somebody? And it's generally like something, you know, it'll be someone will throw something out. Like, you know, Ohio State didn't deserve to be in the playoff because they only played eight games. Right. Okay. so I'll throw out some counterpoint and then someone else comes on top of it and I'll sit there and I'll I'll be 10 things in and go, why am I doing this? Like I, I'm not gonna. No one's ever won an argument on the internet. I'm never gonna win this one. I should just put it down. And I'm not even doing it professionally. Like you mentioned, traditions and sports traditions. It's funny. Um, I took the bait on one just a couple of days ago. So I have this thing that I've been. It bugs me that the you know Atlanta United has this incredible fan base of forty thousand people at every game or seventy thousand mm-hmm. now that the stadiums are back open. And they do chants, like every soccer team does. But they're programmed. Like, I, there will be a Viking clap at the 40-minute mark and the 80-minute mark. Yeah. Every home game. So I'm like, I have no problem with the Viking clap. I just think, why don't you not program it? Like, do it. Like, make it more organic than that. And I get it. You know, like, you know. Buckeye games, you do Hang On Sloopy, you know, at the same point, start of the fourth quarter, every game. I understand the point around programming it, but I sit there and think, well, couldn't we just do better? Like, couldn't we do better? So I made a comment on an online thing the other day about that, and someone came back and said, You're flying in the face of the traditions of the team. And I'm like, We just started our fifth season of existence. <laughs> <laughs> the traditions of the team. And one of those seasons didn't even have fans at it. So <laughs> we're, the traditions of the team have to do with four years. Like what? Yeah. how crazy is it that like something became so embedded in a four year period of time that people are like, no, 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 we're never changing that. it just, it's amazing to me that people think that way.
1: Yeah. And you know, you see that
0: a lot in soccer, really. I mean, there was a huge
1: deal of been part of American outlaws and almost everywhere other than Columbus, they used, you know, capos and cheerleaders yeah. you know, to coordinate and like, boy, well, Columbus, uh, boy, acero, we've never needed this before. And I'm like, you know, it's great. I love the venues, you know, from crew stadium, the, the games we played here, unforgettable. Yeah. But Allie, you know, Allie and I, my wife, we during the qualifying in 13, we were going to the world cup in 2014. That was our, we saved up for a long, you know, for several years, that was going to be our honeymoon trip. And we did that in Brazil so we also did the year before a bunch of the qualifying games, made sure they we could do our part to get them through. Mm-hmm. So I could see both sides where obviously I've been in Columbus for the Dos Cicero games and uh, any other, you know, Jamaica, big ones along the way. And I'm like, okay. But I'm like, you haven't been to Seattle yet or seen what happened, you know, when we were at this game in Portland or this game in Denver. Like um, it's a lot better when – the whole supporter section is doing the same thing at the same time. So, yeah. like Columbus was just like losing their mind. We're never going to have this here. We don't need it. We win every game two to nothing. And I'm like, so I've have been part of a lot of those. It's, again, it's part of what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, I gotta you gotta understand why that passion exists. I mean, and if you don't recognize it, then there's no chance of of telling any meaningful story to in return to those people or providing content that they might enjoy. So to
0: pivot um, here at the end, total pivot for you. Got three, three questions for you. So um, the first one is, is there a recent TV show or movie that you've watched or something you've been watched that you really binge watched that you like, or that you would recommend any to the, to listeners?
1: Oh boy. Other than
0: Buckeye Q. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Just go to uh, the YouTube <laughs> channel and fire, yeah. fire through that. Uh, oh, boy. Um, yeah, we haven't, we haven't done a ton recently. We did WandaVision and, uh, that was really good. I, I, I know a ton of, uh, you know, people were skeptical or didn't or turn it off maybe after the first episode or second episode. Just because the concept was so out there, it mm-hmm. wasn't like a normal Marvel movie. WandaVision, as it once you got through all that and you know got to the meat of it, I, maybe if it had been released all at once, people would have understood. But I like I liked the slow release, so that was like you know, when you and I were, were younger and got to you know have must see TV on yeah. Thursday nights. Um, I liked that part of it. So, we did Falcon and Winter Soldier after that? But we've also just been going back to you know, as we watched the Friends reunion, like my wife had never watched friends all the way through really uh, which to me it was just like i couldn't believe that yeah i thought i was like i thought everybody did and yeah. they just didn't have like they didn't watch as much tv in, in her house and i'm like well okay so what we're watching right now is we're just doing friends from the start and like because i haven't seen it in a really long time but mm-hmm. um i don't think i have to give people a recommendation for that but if they if they haven't watched wandavision do that and not enough people watched community when it was on yeah and on netflix now and community i think and that's probably my favorite all-time show. On the so. WandaVision
0: front, I have this horrible thing where I, I have literally seen one, one Marvel movie, which is Black Panther. <laughs> and when the pandemic started, I looked at my wife and I said, well, this is perfect. We're stuck at home. We have Disney+. Plus. Yeah. We should just go back and watch them all in order. And I have a friend who's in it and he gave me the list of like what is the actual chronological order to watch the movies in. And we didn't watch any of them. So I have this whole long list that I need to watch and catch up on. And WandaVision is sort of at the very back end of it, obviously, but I will, I'll try and get there.
1: My, my parents did that. They actually, cause I, you know, they knew that we, you know, had gone to every movie that we could, you know, I've seen them all as soon as they came out and we've got, you know, we actually had them all on uh, DVD and Blu-ray and now that's no longer necessary, yeah. but, but they, they use that. They actually took advantage of it. Now, now they're hooked. I mean, that's just, they're so well made. Um, uh, you know, I, it's easy to see why I'm not in the minority there. Yeah, I, mean, I
0: don't know why I, for whatever reason, it's just like the whole thing just passed me by. I don't, it's not for a lack of liking yeah. the genre or wanting to do it. I just never did it. So, um, <laughs> on those fronts, any recent book or favorite podcast you've listened to or recommend?
1: Oh boy. Um, just got into, uh, what I'm reading right now. I've actually got it right here. Um, uh, it's called, uh, Red Dirt roots music, so it's it's sort of a a pivot away, but it's the history of like Texas country Americana. Red Dirt uh, takes that from some Oklahoma acts, and uh, when my parents m- moved uh, to New Braunfels, well, they moved to Houston, and then we started having Memorial Day in New Braunfels, Texas, where Green Hall is. Uh, so another that's another another passion, another offshoot to go in another direction is that that music and that genre. Uh, that's what we get into with my family. And so uh, this guy, uh, Josh Crutchmer, he's done a little work for Rolling Stone as well. he he's, you know, got in with all the bands that uh, I've listened to for the last 20 years and sort of told the history, you know, going back even further, um, you know, back to before Garth Brooks, even, you know, Tom Skinner, some other people that were involved in Bob Childers and just the history of this music. And uh, it's not a, Widely known accessible book, but it's, um,
0: really well done. Just, a you know, pretty specific genre, but so, works. But, for- but you just preempted my third question was what's your current song or artist on repeat? Cause yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I love, uh, my favorite
1: you can go back and forth between the top couple, but, uh, reckless Kelly is my favorite, uh, Texas country band. Um, they're based out of Austin, grew up in Idaho. Um, just, you know, a little more rocky than, than it's not. It's not Nashville country. That's not what I listen to. Mm-hmm. Not It's not polished music. It's best consumed with the live album. So uh, if you can track down any of that for Reckless Kelly or the Randy Rogers band or Roger Crager, those those people are always going to be uh, on repeat and always in an uh, in award vehicle. So. Uh, I'll split
0: I'll spread the word for them whenever I can perfect thank you so much um appreciate you joining me today Thanks for having me man it's always good to catch up It's always good to catch up and hopefully we'll see you up there in Cbus at some point soon I'll be here thanks Austin Thanks for listening to today's episode of the narrative Your feedback is always welcomed as are your shares and of course your reviews please subscribe and review the narrative on your podcast platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.